Hey, it's Robert. We're going to be at the Denver Art Museum on September 29th as part of their monthly Untitled program. The theme of that event is Animal Instincts. We also have some other special shows coming up down the pike, so please keep an eye on the narrators.org and our Facebook page for more details. Our next regular shows in both San Diego and Denver are going to be in October, and the theme for the month is In the Dark. Next Storyteller. Next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. Today's story about a botanical cultural exchange on the border of Tijuana and San Diego comes from Daniel Watman. The story was recorded live on the 9th of August, 2017, at Tiger Tiger Tavern in San Diego. The theme of the evening was crossing over. So uh, the story that I'm going to tell is uh, a little bit about how I've um, crossed over to calling Tijuana home. Um, it started out as kind of a, uh, an adventure. Um, back in 1996, I was, uh, um, I was super passionate about learning Spanish and, and learning about the Mexican culture, and I, I ditched uh, a career as a, um, uh, a, an airline pilot um, to go be a, a pizza delivery driver in Ensenada. And, uh, and I, and I went to the back rooms of, um, you know, the, the kitchens and the, at the, uh, at the pizza shop and talked with the other drivers and the, and the, uh, cooks and they, they didn't, uh, they didn't speak any English and they hadn't heard very many people that spoke English. So it was perfect. Um, although I got made fun of quite a bit. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so like I said, this story is going to be, a little bit about how um, the uh, there was obstacles to this passion that I had, um, and uh, how I ended up settling in Mexico. So, as uh, <clears throat> as part of this passion back then, um, when I uh, I came, I became a Spanish teacher, and I and I realized that my passion for Spanish was really getting to know people across cultural barriers. Um, so, <clears throat> back then. This passion to get to know know people across uh, cultural barriers. Um, through that, I started a, a a project called Border Encuentro, Border Encuentro, where people would get together and practice English and Spanish, or do a poetry reading, or salsa dancing lessons, or uh, a yoga class through the border fence at Friendship Park. And in 2007, we planted a binational garden, and the area was wide open then. Uh, but by the end of 2008 the 12 by 3 foot plot where it was located had become prohibited in preparation for the construction of a new border wall slated to go through the middle of Friendship Park, uh, which I was very much against because it went, it went against this uh, idea that I had of people getting to know each other across cultural barriers. And uh, I tried to make, an ofi- make official arrangements with Border Patrol to let, them, to let me and others take care of the garden, but during the Bush years, DHS wasn't communicating with anyone, so I, res- I resorted to somewhat uh, the somewhat complicated routine of asking the agent on duty for permission to go into the U.S. portion of the garden, uh, which he or she almost always granted. Um, I would then cross over either through the spaces between the steel beams on the beach down below or swim around the border to get to the rest of the plants and water the whole garden through the fence. So uh, the area was and is wide open and very popular on the Mexican side. So a local Mexican NGO came up with the, an idea to make a picket fence 
around the garden out of wooden uh, shipping pallets to kind of protect the plants from being trampled. And they were later painted by scouts and uh, middle school students in, in the local community. And I wanted to continue this picket fence perimeter through the border wall uh, on the U.S. side to, uh, to accentuate the fact that it was a binational garden. So I arrived one day with my routine, but this time with a, a pick and a shovel, uh, planning to ask the agent on duty if I could step over the, the plastic mesh area that was there to tend to the garden and dig holes for the fence post. I was fully expecting him to say no, and I came up to, the, to his vehicle and started to explain the garden project. He interrupted me right away and said, I know about your garden. So I, just, so I just asked if I could go in, and he says, uh, I don't know if that's a good idea. And when I asked why not, he said, well, okay. <laughs> and so I, I kind of hid my elated shock uh, and asked, uh, would it be okay if I called a friend on the other side and asked him to throw some pallets over the wall so I could make a picket fence perimeter around the garden? And uh, he was very insecure about the whole thing at this point, but, but he didn't, I could tell he didn't want to show it. So he, he says, uh, are you willing to let me inspect everything that comes over the fence as well as everything on your person? And I said, sure, no problem. Trying my best to hide how little that seemed to ask. <laughs> and, then, uh, and so he says, okay, okay then, go ahead. So I called my friend who was storing the pallets a block away. He threw them over and I started working. Uh, I got the first pallet in and uh, dug the holes for the next one and I ignored the Border Patrol supervisor I saw out of the corner of my eye as he drove by to talk with the other agent. And another vehicle drove up, uh, Fish and Wildlife Enforcement Officer uh, Arnold Grassi uh, joined the mysterious conversation. And then the three of them trotted over and, and Arnold asked me, Dan, what are you doing here? You, gotta, you can't be here. So I told him I was building a picket fence and that the agent okayed it 20 minutes ago. <laughs> And he slowly turned his head toward the agent with a raised eyebrow, and the agent had nothing to say. And so Arnold looked back at me, and, and he says, Dan, you need to leave. So, and I said, well, uh, but I'm halfway done. Can I just finish the picket fence? And, uh, and he says, Dan, now really angry, you need to leave now or I'm going to arrest you. I had one of those old flip phones in my hand, and I was recording him with it. And he then, like, aggressively grabbed it out of my hand. What do you think, I'm stupid, he asked. I'm just trying to protect myself, I told him. Uh, he leaned threateningly forward with his hand on the handcuffs. Dan, get out now. Uh, I obeyed. And Arnold, by the way, had arrested me seven months prior <coughs> while protesting a new border wall and had threatened to arrest me on a, new, on a few other occasions. Um, border Patrol agents aren't used to arresting U.S. citizens, so they always call Arnold to be de the designated hard-ass to take care of like, punks like me uh, who get on Border Patrol's nerves. So, um, so during this time, I joined a coalition of organizations and individuals who were trying to stop the wall from being built through the middle of the park, um, led by the efforts of uh, Reverend and activist John Fanestill, who committed to serving communion through the fence until Border Patrol physically stopped him. And despite this valiant effort, the wall was eventually built by April of 2009 and closed down the park completely until the, near, until, uh, the end of that year, almost the end of that year, and the garden was also uprooted on the U.S. side. So um, <clears throat> the silver lining to all this was that uh, Border Patrol was now willing to at least dialogue with us, and the second-in-command of San Diego sector had promised me they would, quote, do something about the garden by November of 2009 during the annual binational planting ceremony. 
And in October, an agent named Daniel Parks uh, offered to replant a portion of the garden on the U.S. side himself. Um, since only enforcement officers were allowed in this area, he promised to take care of it and coordinate with me. And although he did come through with the planting promise, um, he planted with, along with a, uh, with a lot of us on the Mexican side one day on the, uh, during the annual planting ceremony. Um, he then, soon after, or right after, uh, stopped answering my emails and phone calls. And three weeks went by, and a couple of the new plants on the U.S. side had been uprooted by a storm, and in general, they, they needed to be tended to. Uh, I was becoming a bit anxious about it all and, and called the uh, patrol chief in charge, Agent Sasueta, to see if there was any, anyone could, that could work with me. The answer was to stop calling them, that they'll call me when they get around to it. Uh, I had been let down before by Border Patrol, so I now saw kind of no other alternative than to try to access the plants myself to, if nothing else, make a statement about the importance of the garden and hopefully actually reach the plants and be able to tend to them. So on December 13th of 2009, I made a plan to step over the plastic chains that had now been installed to guide people into the enclosed cage area at the Friendship Monument in order to get to the 50 yards, to get 50 yards east in the prohibited area where the garden was. Um, there, there was a family there waiting to go into the, to this enclosed area who had come from Los Angeles to meet with other family members they, didn't see, they hadn't seen in seven years. Um, separated by immigration status and two 15-foot high walls, the family members on the Mexican side had traveled four days on a bus from the state of Veracruz. Uh, two of the four were grandparents who would meet their three- and four-year-old grandchildren for the first time. I remember clearly the young father's woo-hoo with, with his daughter's hand in one and the other uh, raised with a victory fist as they walked through the metal door and, and found a way to unite his family with his wife's parents and cousins. Um, I was the only other person uh, with them inside the U.S. cage uh, that held them about five feet away from their family pressed up against a tall, rusty, corrugated metal fence. I remember the grandpa's face. He had a look like he was supposed to be happy, but he couldn't quite get there. Um, and after 30 minutes, uh, two agents entered and asked all of the U.S. all of all of us on the U.S. side to leave. I was, well, I was pissed because <laughs> uh, uh, it, it totally contradicted what Border Patrol had agreed to, which was that people could stay in 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 longer than 30 minutes as long as the max capacity of 25 hadn't been reached. I argued with them and called the station, but the family had already left. Um, a supervisor. And arrived and told me that his understanding is that the rule is 30 minutes per person per day. Um, I, was, I was upset um, that the family wasn't allowed to visit, and now I didn't know uh, what I was going to do because my plan to step over the plastic chain had been foiled. Um, so after attempting for an hour to get a hold of the station and getting, and getting the runaround, I realized the only way to get to the, to the garden would be to go down the hill to the beach where the secondary barrier ends and walk, and walk around it and then back up the hillside onto the mesa and over to the garden. Just then, I saw my friend arriving uh, to the garden ready to take a picture, so that kind of encouraged me. And uh, as I started down the hill, my heart was racing and I could feel the, the agent watching me from above his eyes burning into my back, even though he probably was just barely noticing me. Um, I rounded the end of the fence into the prohibited area between the two border walls and started up the hill as the Border Patrol vehicle reared down the hill to my left. A few more strides up and out of the corner of my eye I see the agent standing at the limit of the no access zone down on the beach. I could feel his anger as he hollered, hey, 
come back here. You can't be in there. I continued to walk up and calmly turned, just kind of hiding my, my fear. And I, 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 could, I calmly turned my head and toward, him and toward him and said, I'm just going to walk up the hill and, and plant some plants. Again, he yelled and answered back, maintaining the same, and I answered back, uh, maintaining the same calm facade. Um, I used my nervous, scared energy uh, to kind of fuel me to be more focused and determined and continued the trek up the hill. He ran up the hill and kept yelling. I, I continued to walk and speak calmly as his rage came closer and closer. And closer. I knew at this point that I wasn't going to reach my destination, but I kept walking. He reached me and grabbed my elbow and pushed my arm toward the ground and, my, and making my body follow. I felt an over and, and all of a sudden I felt like an overwhelming sense of calm. Uh, I'd done what I could do that day. Uh, it was over, so I didn't resist. I was a little upset because we were hidden from view and, my, and may have even uh, said out loud, darn, no one can see us. <laughs> uh, the wall to the south hid us uh, from view of the spectators from Tijuana and being on the hillside still, no one could see us up in the park above uh, on the mesa. So of course my friend with the camera had no idea what was going on. And uh, the agent continued to make movements and grunts as if, he, if, as if I were resisting and he, as he put the handcuffs on me and while I lay flat on the ground. It's okay, you've got me, I told him, and, and he relaxed a bit. Um, when we got back down the hill and out of the restricted area, he said in a raised voice, you're putting your life and mine in danger. He was flushed and sweating and, and had a confused, angry look in his eyes. To plant some plants? was his repeated WTF reaction every time I answered his incessant question of why I went in there. He eventually took the handcuffs off and detained me in the back of his armored paddy wagon. He drove around for a good 15, drove around angry <laughs> for a good 15 minutes and then took me to the top of the hill and radioed in some other officers. Uh, while we were waiting, he opened the back door. He had now calmed down quite a bit. What are you, some kind of activist or something? Uh, we chatted a bit about my motivations and uh, and then I hear, you never learn, do you, Dan? And, and my friend, the Fish and Wildlife Officer Arnold Grassi, um, his, his shaven head and round, sarcastic face came into view. And uh, he gave me a sermon about how much of, of a pain in the ass I am and how I should follow the rules more and then let me go, banning me from the park for 72 hours. I really wanted to participate in the annual Posada Sin Fronteras celebration that, ha that afternoon and evening in the same place. So I rode my bicycle over to the Mexican side and joined in. I still had a, a bit of adrenaline left over from the incident and barely noticed a slight knee injury. It was a little swollen, but was minor, and I was quickly feeling more comfortable having crossed over to the Mexican side for the celebration. Daniel Watman. The Narrators is produced by Robert Rutherford, Mary Robertson, Aaron Rollman, and me, Ron Doyle. Our assistant producer is Sydney Crane. Our theme music is by Whalehawk. And our founder and executive producer is Andrew Orvidal. A very special thanks to our amazing sponsors, Illegal Pete's, Sexy Pizza, From the Hip Photo, and Renegade Brewing Company. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And join us at one of our live monthly shows, which take place every second Tuesday of the month at Tiger Tiger Tavern in San Diego, California, and every third Wednesday of the month at Bumport Theater in Denver, Colorado. Both shows start at 8 p.m. and are always free to attend. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter, and for past episodes, photos from our live shows, and a list of our upcoming events and themes, please visit thenarrators.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>